The longest standing human relationship and the most mysterious and complex is the one between men and women. As far back as we can go, men and women have been the center and the cornerstone of human existence. If you want to know the standard, the status of any society, look at the relationship between men and women. And in both directions, the love, the connection, what can be built out of it, and also the conflicts. So we will be discussing this fundamental idea. Who's in control, men or women? Hi, Simon Jacobson here. I welcome you to another weekly program. We will be talking about who is in control, men or women. This program is dedicated by Charlie Saperstein in honor of Rabbi Jacobson for his continued leadership and inspiration during these times. Well, thank you. One of the perhaps most complex and mysterious of all relationships is not subatomic particles or asteroids and planets and how stars are born or how stars die, but the one right here on Earth, right here sitting in front of you, the relationship between women and men. which lies at the heart of the entire human race. From the beginning of time, a woman and a man came together, had a relationship, we like to believe a sacred relationship, and had the power to breed, to give birth, which is the essence of the perpetuation of our species. And yet, the relationship remains quite mysterious, quite complex. The classic line that you hear is often, I can't live without him, I can't live with him. I can't live without her, I can't live with her. Which is really, I don't really embrace that, but it's a a reflection of a reality, which is that when you're dealing with two human beings with different opinions and different approaches, different genders, many ways not just physiologically different, but psychologically different. How do these two work together in a harmony? So what has emerged in many people's minds is the idea that, like any relationship, it has two sides to it. The beautiful side, but it also comes with the other side. The beautiful side, of course, is love, synergy, building something together, a vision together. The other side is that is possible also for conflict. Not necessarily, let's say, a conflict and a feud, but possibly different approaches. And as human logic would dictate, it would seem that someone has to run the show. You can't have two heads of a company. Someone has to make the decisions. So the question, of course, is who's in control? Is it the man? Is it the woman? That's the premise that most of us approach this idea 
I would like to suggest and submit a new approach which takes the word control out of the picture. But then you say, okay, so then what? Should we be neutral? Should we just be um, vanilla, so to speak? If I'm going to be me, and she's going to be she, her, or vice versa, the man will be a man, the woman a woman, with their full individuality and their full expression of it. At the end of the day, as I said with the, in business, you can't have two people making the decision. There's one captain of a ship. That's what, as I said, our assumption would be. So you have all this different humor about men and women, the different jokes. Some of them are more tasteful than others. And uh, they include things like, okay, the usual stereotype is that the man is the boss, so to speak. Or at least that's how it was for many years, for thousands of years. With the rise of feminism, modern feminism, some say women are beginning to reclaim their right. But is that indeed true? Is that, when you study a couple, is it the fact that a man is always in control? I mean, some put it this way, that the man wears the pants, but the woman tells him what pants to wear. So it could be (laughs) that the control is not always obvious to the naked eye. There's the joke, which I don't love this joke, but I want to share it anyway, (laughs) because it just captures the idea. It's somewhat stereotypical, and I don't like stereotypes, but I think this one doesn't cross any serious lines. Um, so this guy, after he lives a long life, a big CEO, an executive, everyone thought one of the, one of the most powerful people in uh, his community, comes up to heaven after, after his passing, and they say there's two lines. He sees two lines. Two, long, two lines. And he asks, what are these two lines? They say one line is for the dominant controlling men who were who exerted themselves who who uh, uh, what's the word I want to use not exerted um, who led the way they were the leaders in their homes and the other line is for the the henpecked men the ones that were controlled by their wives and he sees something strange the long line is all the hand-pecked ones. And he sees people he knew, leaders, powerful influencers. And the other line, he sees one shriveled guy that seems he's afraid of his own shadow. He's very surprised. Why is he standing in the line with the dominant, the alpha males? And he goes over to him, and the guy begins to shiver. He says to him, why are you standing in this line? You seem to belong in the other line. He says, with a stutter, he says, my, my wife told me to stand here. So the story speaks for itself. So sometimes when you see situations, you don't always know who's in control. But as I said at the outset, I'm not interested in talking about control. You know, they say instead of having the, when the love of power will be replaced by the power of love, we'll have a far better world. I understand in a world where dog eats dog, survival of the fittest, of course it makes sense just as it does in the general picture, the general biological picture. Resources are scarce, are scarce, are scarce and not every, everyone's competing for the same, so somebody has to dominate. Someone wins and someone loses. 
However, does that truly define who we are as human beings? That's the key. Can we, are we most naturally going to succumb to social standards and the pressures and expectations that we pick up in our homes, which is often where it all begins, our parents, then our educators, society, media, you name it. Is that where we define, that defines who we are? So obviously, if you pick that up and you just perpetuate whatever you were taught, then you'll just continue the same, the blind leading the blind, so to speak. But if we want to revisit it, who we are, our true identities, both as human, as human beings and both as men and women, things change. And that's what I would like to do. Let's free ourselves, at least for a moment, from the givens, from the fixed routines and patterns that we've been trained in and programmed. And we may not even see it, it may be innocuous, we may not even see it as destructive. But it could be very destructive. So when you see what they call, they used to call the battle of the sexes, or whatever the words I used, you ask yourself, is this some type of like, given? Does it have to be that way? And most of us would say yes, due to the circumstances. First of all, on a very basic level, as many laws as you write, can you really completely regulate men trying to exploit women sexually or in other ways? Can you really regulate that? You can write laws. You can, you can definitely minimize, especially when there are deterrents or incentives and people can be prosecuted, etc. But does that really change what's going on or just like, it's like red lights and green lights or seat belts? You enforce it so you'll have more people wearing seatbelts. So I'm not dismissing that. That's better than not. But, but at the core of it, it seems like it's a natural thing that there is the element of a predator and prey. I know that's harsh words, but in a certain way. And it could be the other direction as well, women to men. Many people would say it's men that wrote the rules and women are trying to live by them now in an equal fashion. Is that the best way to go? Wouldn't it be much healthier if we can re-embrace what does it mean to be a woman? The feminine mystique, the feminine energy. What would it mean to be a man? The masculine energy in its purest form. So you'll say, okay, fine. Even if you get there philosophically, how do we implement that? But you know what? It's a big step. Awareness, clarity. First thing you want to know is who am I? Am I just a product of all the men in the world and the men in my life and the men in my family? Or my product of all the women in, in, my, in the world, all the women in my home and my family and my community? And I'm just replicating what I was taught to do? Some of it may be beautiful and healthy, but it's always also healthy to revisit, to look at it closer and come away perhaps with a fresh perspective and then comes the effort of living up to that perspective. So there are many different theories out there about women and men. The common, obviously, the biological evolutionary example is basically is the essence of having the ability to breed. So you have two different genetic makeups of male and female come together in a pool and create an offspring that's a new mix 
which of course minimizes disease and other genetic patterns and continues to create the diversity of the human race. And it's not just in the human world, it's also in the animal world and also in the plant world in its own way through pollination, cross-pollination and so on. But there's another perspective, I'll call it the spiritual take on women and men which takes into account something much more than just perpetuation of the species or survival of the fittest. That's all about perpetuating and breeding. It takes into account that we at heart and soul, I should say, we at heart, at essence, we are really a soul within a body, not a body that just contains something, a personality or a soul. In other words, we are spiritual beings on a physical journey, not physical beings on a spiritual journey. When you take that into account, that women and men begin with a spiritual identity, and that evolves into a physiological and biological one, it's a very different way of looking at it. And it's actually the way that count, the biblical account, which for some may seem primitive, ancient, archaic. In truth, when you understand it, it's the most cutting edge and coolest approach to women and men, and I challenge anyone to find a better one. And one that also resonates, it just has to be translated properly. So let's do the translation briefly. How does the Bible put it, the Torah put it, that a woman, a God created the human being, the human being, male and female, he created them. The truth is the he and God is also just an expression. It should be it created, we use he, the masculine, it doesn't, God is neither masculine nor feminine, which is, that itself is obvious from the verse because God created male and female. And then separated them. Like an androgynous creature, there were two parts of one. Interesting, right? Two parts of one, one unified whole, and then they were separated. And that is why they're drawn to each other. They're drawn to each other because they want to reconnect to the greater unity that both of them feel compliments and creates something more than the sum of the parts and reconnects them with their divine personality, that unified divine personality. So in other classes, I've spoken at length, entire approach based on that, on love, comparing that to the evolutionary model. But that's not the focus here. The focus here is on the male and female themselves. So what does that tell us? That tells us that there's something about us that is connected with the opposite gender. And yet it's an opposite gender. It's another gender. Now obviously we have much more in common, male and female, than we have differences between us. But the, difference can be, the differences can be significant. Not just biological, but also emotional, psychological, and spiritual. And that's perfectly fine. Because what it really tells us is that there's diversity in existence. It's the birth of diversity, that split between the male and female. And the mystics talk about this at length. And diversity, per se, is actually a very healthy thing because it allows an ability to create what we call beauty. Beauty is only possible when there's harmony within diversity. One gene, one musical note, one color 
we don't define as beautiful. Beautiful is some type of composite that is synchronized and harmonious and creates a symbiotic, a type of a beautiful image. But it also has the potential for conflict. One gene can't, has nothing to fight with, has no one to fight with. So what exactly lies at the heart of this male and female? And here I want to make a big disclaimer. I'm not talking now to you or to myself what you and I are as a man and woman on this earth. Because we, as I said earlier, have been conditioned. We've been programmed. We may not even be living up to, whether it's a man, to the true masculine energy that you contain or a woman to her true feminine energy. In most likelihood, we're not living up close to that. Because we've been shaped by attitudes, beginning with our parents and other forces I mentioned. So what I want to talk about for a moment is the archetype, the very archetype of what we'll call feminine, the quintessential woman, the quintessential feminine energy, we'll call it, and the quintessential masculine energy. So here's how the mystics explain it and elaborate upon by the Hasidic masters. It's actually beautiful. It's eloquent. Every entity has two forms of energy. One is called intimate inward energy, and one is called extrovert expressive energy. A simple example. We all carry within ourselves many different feelings, experiences. I'm calling that intimate internal. What does that mean? Some of it can't even be expressed properly because it's not subject to expression. It's beyond expression. The deep beliefs we carry that, we, that are, that are in our, at, at our heart and soul, our values, experiences, pain, joy. In many ways, sometimes you feel very alone because you're alone with your, those innermost feelings. And you try to express them, you won't find adequate words because they're too intense and it's perfectly fine. It's part of who you are. Then there's another side to us, the expressive side. We express, we extend, we speak to each other. Does it contain all of our inner self? Not necessarily, most cases not. We could talk about superficial things completely like the weather, sports, or something like that. But even when we talk about more deeper feelings, it's still the expression always is going to be limited because it's containers that do not fully have the capacity to manifest and contain the most more intense feelings we have. So we have two sides to ourselves. Whether you're introvert or extrovert, you have two dimensions. Everybody has these two dimensions. Now, some people are very, very good at the social interconnecting with others. Others are very quiet, shy, and internal for different reasons. That may also be not necessarily our natural self. This may be our conditioned self. But that's not relevant to our discussion here. Our discussion is that there's these two energies. Now, all of us have both. The feminine energy, using a beautiful verse from the book of Psalms, that says, the glory, the dignity of the princess is within. What does within mean? There's a certain dignity, a certain um, discretion, you could say, discreetness that a person has that reflects dignity. You don't say everything that's, on your, that's, on your, that's in your heart. You, there's restraint. There's a certain elegance. 
and composure in how you present yourself. And you meet someone of such elegance, this princess, you feel, you sense, this person is carrying a certain majesty. And it's within. It is within. Not everything has to be done. You know, today we live in a world that, yes, many people feel everything needs to be said. No, not everything has to be said and not everything has to be expressed. Even though in a Madison Avenue advertising world it's all about you know, how you promote and how you, uh, you let people know. But there are a lot of things that should remain quiet and discreet. When a mother looks at her child, a newborn child, that's a very intimate experience. Can you write about it? Can you make a film about it? Of course you can. But there's something about it that should remain quiet, that should remain subdued. And then there's another part of us. We'll call it the warrior. We need to go. We need to tame the elements. We need to deal with the challenges. We do live in a hostile world. There are enemies of different sorts. And both are necessary in this world. Interestingly, the way the mystics put it, that up in the spiritual world, before the soul comes into a body, it does not need to have that aspect, which is to go ahead and be a warrior. Because there are no hostile forces. All there is is soulfulness and spirituality. That's all there is. But in a world like ours, where there can be duplicity and hostility, there's a need for both forms of energy. In many ways, the masculine relates more to the warrior, the feminine more to the inward. And I say again, I'm talking about the quintessential masculine energy. Every man has feminine and masculine energy, and every woman has masculine and feminine energy. Just a question of what dominates. And when you think about it, it's not competition. They need each other. In the statement in the, the, the Talmud puts it this way. The man works hard in the field and he produces grain, brings it home, and the woman takes the grain and bakes a challah, bakes bread. Now, can a man bake the bread and the woman work in the field? Of course they can. But a man physically stronger will probably achieve more in a few hours than a woman would. Not because he's more capable, he simply has more strength. Like he can carry heavier weights. That's not a discriminatory statement. Just like women's tennis and men's tennis is not discrimination. But a woman has an aspect of a certain touch, certain gentleness. It's not a mistake that a woman carries a child and the man doesn't. Some say that if a man had to carry a child, we wouldn't have children. I remember once hearing a woman telling me that when she was pregnant with a child, her little girl comes over to her and says, Mommy, how do you have room inside you for another human being? Because she saw the belly. She saw the, 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 the woman's pregnancy, her mother's pregnancy. And I thought to myself, what a powerful statement. Men often don't even have room for people outside themselves, let alone inside themselves. And here a woman, nine months, carries a child. It's not just carrying it like a little closet within you. It occupies your whole being. Totally occupies and affects the entire being of the woman. I can't even imagine it as a man. Because a woman has definitely a personality, the way she was created, to be able to do that. Does this mean that a woman can't be arrogant? Of course it doesn't mean that. Again, I'm not talking about the physical reality of the men and women we know, or ourselves. 
I'm talking about the, the, the archetype. The archetype is that all of us need to be able to contain another. That's what love is. In a physiological sense, it's exactly what pregnancy is. And all of us in this world need to also be able to protect and tame the elements. But I want to make sure nobody takes this the wrong way. This is not trying to get to the stereotype that the man is the protector and the woman is the vulnerable, fragile one. That's not the point at all. On the contrary, the way the mystics put it is that the inward energy is actually more powerful than the outward energy. You tell me, what's more intense? What's more powerful? The innermost feelings you have or the feelings you express? We always express less than what we have within. But in this material world, we measure size matters. There was a time when armies were defined by strength, by sheer numbers. More military, more weapons, more powerful weapons. Today we know, as we learn to appreciate that it's not about size, it's quality. When you know how to tap into atomic energy, nuclear energy, it's not about size. The smallest amount can release much more energy than entire armies. We understand today on the cellular level, DNA and so on as in physics, subatomic particles. Or to use a simple example, computer language. Add a dot to millions of lines of code and it, and it wreaks havoc. So we've come to appreciate the invisible forces at work. But to meet the naked eye, some would think a more powerful tank, a more powerful uh, ammunition is going to win. So we live in a world where there's a conflict between quantity and quality what the mystics call between the containers and the energy. A container is like a peel, called like an orange peel. What's more important, the peel or the fruit within? The peel is meant to protect. But if you start worshipping the peel and forget there's a fruit, there's something seriously wrong. So we live in a world that worships, literally worships the outer. Like Madison Avenue cynics will say, it doesn't matter what happened, it matters what people think happened. Who's in control? The one who's at the top. The one who calls the shots. The one who writes the checks. That's the world in which we live. That's the definition. In materialism, power is yielded, is wielded, I should say, by the ones who are, have the most. And what does the most mean? They climb the ladder. They influence. They control. And often it comes down to money. Yes. In spirituality, who's in control? It's actually not control at all. In spirituality, not, the word control doesn't exist. What dominates in spirituality? Giving, love, kindness, sincerity, being genuine. Is that inner energy. So in a sense, you can say feminine and masculine energy are two parts of one whole. They're both needed. You need the fruit, you need the appeal. And they both are interconnected. And they both have each other, as I said. There's a masculine within the feminine, feminine within the masculine. But when it plays itself out and we become very self-focused, egocentric, it's all about self-interest, and we focus on what I need, me, 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 obviously what's going to happen is there's going to become a split to the point of even a conflict. We don't even appreciate that intimate energy. Yeah, on a personal level, most people say intimacy is very important and so on. But then they go out into the world, there's the shark element of dog eats dog, 
an aggression, a, a, a force at work. And many of us develop to a dual personality, frankly. But in truth, it's two parts of one whole. In the words of the mystic, there was a point where there was a seamlessness, one energy that encompassed both, both potentials, both capacity, the capacity to express, the capacity to be inward. And then came the great symptom, in the words of the Lurianic doctrine, the Lurianic doctrine called the secret of the symptom. Symptom is a concealment that actually creates a split where now the perception is there are two different forces at work and can even be seen as conflicting, as uh, opposites, when in truth they're meant to be connected. So the joining of masculine and feminine is actually the joining of, of, of it's actually the realization of the truth and the joining of two critical forces because the goal is that the inner should be expressed to the outer and the outer should express the inner. And when there's a dissonance between the two, that's when we have our challenges. Where what you do and who you are are split into two. Who you are, what you do in this material world is disconnected from the purpose, the inner purpose of your life. So in that context, men and women, it's far more about really reflecting the two different dimensions of existence. But let's bring it back to our personal lives again. The word control, unfortunately, though it sounds like it's necessary, the truth is in the spiritual world it's not necessary. When people are completely secure, let's say we could eliminate fear and insecurity. I know it sounds like a fantasy, but let's for a moment indulge me. Would we need control? No, because there'd be nothing to be afraid of. You could be vulnerable. You could be defenseless. And you're not afraid because no one's going to hurt you. Because everyone is in their place. Everything, everything knows its place in this existence. We've been trained to think that we are fundamentally in perpetual conflict with each other. We need rules, but they're superimposed. Red lights and green lights and other, and other forms of rules to keep us in check. Take the raw Freudian model. The id is just that selfish instinct of your own pleasure principle. And then you need an ego and superego to keep it in check. The true person, the true take, the biblical take? No. You're at heart and soul a beautiful energy that manifests in a world where we can deceive ourselves into thinking that control is necessary for us to survive. And that's not the case. Now you say, okay, fine, even if I live by that, but nobody else does, so how is that going to help me? Well, you know what? When enough of us will embrace this approach, we will change the world. And I'll tell you something, we have already changed the world. The world is not the way it was thousands of years ago. Of course, there's still the selfish instincts and they come... And they come to the fore and they express themselves in very ugly ways at times. But many things have changed. There's a far deeper appreciation today of this inner goodness. And you see it all the time. Now the cynics will say, okay, fine, here and there. But overall, what dominates is the ones in control. And you see the more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, I come from a school of thought that says, no, we could change things. Not being naive, 
keep at this message because at the heart of it, when we're born, children are naturally more are spiritual. Children are not warriors. Children are spiritual. Well, can they have conflicts? Yes, because we live in a world where that's possible. So our goal has to be not who's in control, but actually appreciating what you truly are. When I see a man and woman, a couple, a beautiful couple, you see love. It's not just love. There's something behind the love. They're both not focused on themselves. The man is not focused on his needs and the woman is not focused on her needs. It's not my needs and your needs. Okay, if you give me your, if you fulfill my needs, I'll fulfill your needs and we'll negotiate our way through it. You see there's a focus not on the individual, it's a focus on what they're building together. A focus on the cause, the purpose of their lives. And as soon as you introduce something that's beyond yourself, something transcendent, the word control becomes less important. But the only way to do that is to connect your femininity to the quintessential archetype that I'm describing. To connect your masculinity to the quintessential archetype of what the masculine personality is truly like. And then work toward it. You are here sent to this world for a purpose, a transcendent purpose that includes yourself, but not the worship of yourself. You are an agent, an ambassador of light, an ambassador to bring a gentler energy into this often harsh world. And we learn from each other. When you access your more intimate side, your deeper, beautiful side, the things you are most proud of, you're accessing, in a way, a feminine form of energy. That's also within the masculine. I'm not saying they all remember or originate from the same divine place. It's just two different forms that just travel through directions. So 99% of men and women are more similar than they are separate and different, as I mentioned before. They both have that. I'm calling it feminine only because that's the expression. It's not because it's the exclusive domain of the feminine. Men have full right to it because they have within it, they have it within themselves. And the woman also needs her expressive side. Can't just be the intimate. The expressive side, the expression. Because we need to bridge and express the inexpressible. to transform a physical material world that can be dominated by the males. Because since they're physically stronger and, the, and people worship, as I said before, external strength, it could be dominated. But that's not a positive thing. If anything, that domination, that physical strength should be used to protect sometimes the more vulnerable, intimate energy in this world. And protect, not because a woman can't protect herself. That's not my point. My point is to protect the very beauty of that type of intimacy, to celebrate it. And that's why the mystics say that after thousands of years of male dominance, what's male dominance means material dominance. We're entering the feminine age with the women, the appreciation of the feminine mystique, the feminine energy will rise to its prominence. And that will help the entire world appreciate a new way of looking at life from the perspective from in, inside out instead of outside in. That's ultimately the goal. So we have to try to eliminate as much as possible that control word. It's not control. 
you see a good marriage, you see a good couple at work, it's not one is in control and the other one is just acquiescing. They're both in control or neither are really in control. Something else is in control. The vision that they share, the transcendent purpose for which they are here, that controls their lives. So when there's a conflict, they just turn to that higher force. I know it sounds poetic and sounds very idealistic, but it's actually possible. I've actually seen it. I've seen people reach that place, but they have to stop focusing on me, me, me. And appreciate that you have something to learn from another. When I counsel people, I always say to them, she or he doesn't have to be like you. You don't want someone like you. You don't need a clone. You want another approach. And you learn from that approach and let her or him learn from your approach. Be intrigued by another way of looking at things. That's where real relationships thrive. Not when one tries to say, okay, it's going to be my way. Or one feels this is the only way to go. Instead of focusing on what I have to gain or or my needs or what I have to have, what I want, focus on what is needed. Not I. Take the I out of the sentence, out of the phrase, out of the equation. That, my friends, is the key. The key to coming to a place that both are neither are in control. What's in control is a higher destiny. I have full confidence that you and I can live up to that. And may we be blessed, our efforts be blessed. Obviously a topic like this requires more discussion, but I look forward to hearing from you. Please, questions, comments, rebuttals, meaningfullife.com, where you can address this topic. You can also check out our full calendar of events and different offerings, literally daily, updated daily with all kinds of other topics as well as redressing different types of audiences. Check it out at MeaningfulLife.com. Thank you very much. And may we reach the age where the masculine and the feminine fuse and forge one greater synergy and truth. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.